are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to speak this morning to you on the subject, the opportunity of adversity. Now, to those of you who are visiting with us this morning, you may not know this, but this is not just to fill up time so you can say you've been to church. This is a time for me to help you, for God to help you through me. Now, I want this morning every eye fastened right this way. Now, they want you to think about where you're going when you get out of here and where you went before you came. Uh, what's going on in the service? Just one thing, I want you to fasten your eyes and your mind right this way as I speak to you on the subject, the opportunity of adversity. Job had lost everything. As we count everything, he had lost, he was, he was the most respected man in, his, in the whole country. He became the object of ridicule and even scandal. He became the object of abuse. People used to brag on him, and now little children mock at him. All of a sudden, it happened. He lost every possession that he owned. He lost his camel. He lost his sheep. He lost his oxen. His house was, was destroyed. He had ten children. All ten of those children were killed. He lost his health. He had the awful leprous disease of elephant tire. His entire body was covered with corrupt sores that ran corruption over his body. He was so much in pain. Never mind, all ten children endured. House gone. Health gone. Wealth gone. All of it. He goes out to the city dump. He takes a little thing called a potsit, which basically is a little piece of metal, much like a knife. And he stands, sits there in the, in the, in the embers of the coal in the city dump and the garbage dump. And the burning of the embers helps to soothe somewhat his pain and his suffering. He takes a potsherd or a piece of metal and begins to scrape his, his sores that are running with filth. His wife comes up. She looks at him. She sees a man that just a few days ago was the most respected man in town, now the most reproachful man in town. She sees a man who was the most revered man in town, now the most scandalized and criticized man in town. She sees a man who had been the picture of health with his body covered totally with running sores. She sees a man who had commanded thousands who he employed, now employs none. Whose signature could have transferred millions of dollars from one bank to another, now is in total poverty. She sees a man who was a happy father of ten children, now Childless. And she says, 
Why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, God has not been good to you. Curse him. He doesn't deserve your praise. He deserves your cursing. He doesn't deserve your honor, your worship. Curse him and die. No need to live. Oh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What an opportunity Job had. You say opportunity. No house. No children. No job. No money. No riches. No wife. What? You say opportunity. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Job has an opportunity to get his name in the Bible. Job has an opportunity to show his real character. Job had the greatest opportunity of any living human being to show what he really was. Job had the greatest opportunity of any person in the whole world to rebuild. He had the greatest opportunity of any person in the whole world to show his love for God. He had the greatest opportunity of anybody in the world to show that he believed what he had said beforehand he believed. I'm not interested in how much faith you have in God when you've got a job. I'm, a, I'm interested in how much faith you have in God when you don't have a job. I'm not interested in how much faith you have in God when you're in perfect health. I'm concerned in how much faith you have in God when your health is broken. I'm saying nobody in the world had the opportunity to show their love for God, their faith in God, and their confidence in God like Job did. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't forget Job's wife. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Don't be too hard on Job's wife. Oh, all we think about, won't you curse God and die? But now, wait a minute. Would you have done any better? Suppose you've been pregnant ten times and given birth and gone to the jaws of death ten times and had ten lovely children, and in one, uh, one, one uh, fell swoop, all of them were taken. How would you felt towards God? Don't be too hard on Job's wife. Suppose that you had been the outstanding lady in the city, most respected woman in town, married to the town's most respected man, and all of a sudden you're, you're in the soup line, and your husband's in the garbage dump. I mean, you're sitting down there in the garbage dump, making a public spectacle of himself, when you had just a little while ago been the most respected woman in town. Don't be too hard on Job's wife. He went through exactly what Job did. She sat in every funeral service beside Job. She went to the same graves that Job visited. Same house that was Job's house was her house. Same wealth that Job had had, she had had. She had lost it all. I want to say this this morning. I want you to hear me carefully. I want to say this this morning. What an opportunity she had. What an opportunity. She, no woman in the history of the world had the opportunity to show their love for a husband like Job's wife did. Had, had this not happened, had this not happened, she would not have had the opportunity to show her love to her husband like, like, like she had. I'm saying that there are certain kind of opportunities that come in adversity that nothing else will bring. And I'm saying that adversity brings more opportunities than anything else in the world brings. 
What an opportunity she had. This was her big chance to be a loyal wife. This was her big chance to really trust God. This was her big chance to help future generations. I mean, if she stands beside Job and says, I stood beside you when you were on top, I'll stand beside you when you're on bottom. If she says to Job, uh, I, I, I'm with you now in adversity and uh, a total, complete shame, she becomes a hero in the Bible for all generations that follow. What an opportunity. This woman had gone from being queen of an estate, most respected, having the most respected husband in the land, to poverty, total poverty, and a husband who sat in ridicule and reproach while folks laughed at him. Oh, by the way, she paid for it. If any woman ever paid for her sin, she did. Because you'll check in the scenes, the Bible says that they had twice as many camels given to them later on. They had twice as many oxen and twice as many sheep. And ten more children were born. Guess who had them? I mean, boy, she, she was pregnant ten times. That's, that's 90 months. That's a heap of pickles. She paid for it. Oh, but I've got to, everybody here has heard this said, but I've got to say it because I love it. Why did God give Job twice as many Sheep, and twice as many camel, and twice as many donkeys. And why didn't Job give him twice as many kids? Because when a camel dies, it's dead. When a lamb dies, it's dead. When a donkey dies, it's dead. When a child dies, he lives forever. He did have twice as many children. But... What an opportunity. I do not want you to suffer. I have more dear, close, personal friends suffering at this moment than I've had in my life. I don't want them to suffer. But I want to say to every one of them, your adversity gives you the best opportunity you've ever had. I'm thinking about a lady in this room. I admire her more than she'll ever know. And her husband I admire tremendously. He was tricked. He did not commit a crime. He was accused and indicted and convicted of a crime he did not commit. He was sent to penitentiary. I think for a year. That little woman had an opportunity. She had an opportunity, like she women in this room, to say, I love my husband. She had a way of expressing love that most of you will never have. Now, what will she do? Will she seize that opportunity and say in a way that you ever are allowed to say, I love you, you're my man, you're my guy, and I love you. And that's exactly what she did. And brother, I saw that little lady take her children to Sunday school and church every Sunday morning. And I saw that lady come by my office and cry and pray and say, I love him and I'll be here when he gets out. And bless God, he got out and bless God, 
she was here, and bless God, she's a great woman. Why? Because her adversity gave her a chance to say, I'm loyal, I'm faithful, I love you. Talking to a young lady the other day, she, her husband has just fallen on his face in business. And I said to her, congratulations. She said, for what? I said, congratulations. Why? Because of the opportunity you have. You've had an opportunity to show him you loved him when things were going well. You've had an opportunity to show him you loved him in the sunshine. But now then, you have a greater opportunity. You have an opportunity to stand beside that fellow and love him like you loved him when he was on top. And you have the opportunity to help him get back on his feet. I said, why don't you look at it as a challenge, an opportunity. Adversity, ladies and gentlemen, is more than suffering. It is more than pain. It is a tremendous opportunity. Take advantage of it. I don't want you to suffer, but if you're suffering, quit whining and take advantage of the opportunities that come along with your suffering. I don't want you to have adversity, but if you have adversity, quit your complaining and call off your pity party and, and seize the opportunities that adversity gives to you. You know who I'd like to nominate for Woman of the Year? America. I'd like to have done it for years. Mr. Moderator, I nominate Mrs. Richard Nixon. No move, no pictures taken, please. Time to listen, not time to take pictures. I'll pose for you in the alley after a while. Strip to the waist. I'd like to nominate Mrs. Richard Nixon. When a man who held the loftiest position in the world, who had made some mistakes, and the same mistakes the liberals made, who kicked him out, seize upon that if you want to. But brother, that woman stayed by her man. And as far as I'm concerned, there's not been a woman in the history of the United States of America who has said, I love you as plainly as Mrs. Richard Nixon has said to her husband. What an opportunity she had. One of the saddest moments of my life was when I watched on the television set when they left the White House and got in that helicopter and flew off. Um, and uh, in shame and, and, uh, and a bunch of dirty liberals that ought to be in jail uh, uh, pointing their finger at all the conservatives that believe in the old freedoms of America. But many as it may, I'm not saying he was innocent. I'm just saying he was not any more guilty than uh, Mr. Johnson was guilty. But fully on that stuff, I'm just saying three cheers for that woman. What an opportunity Mrs. Oliver North has today. What an opportunity Mrs. Ed Meese has today. You have these opportunities. I'm saying, Job, if you suffer, you're lonely, your family's gone, your children dead, your house is destroyed, your wealth is gone, your health is gone, 
your respect is gone. They laugh at you and make fun of you and are spreading all kinds of stuff as to why this happened to you. Job, congratulations, buddy. Why? Because you have an opportunity to stand up and say, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What an opportunity. That's what adversity does. Adversity shows, gives you the opportunity to show what you're made of. Adversity gives you the opportunity to show you can take it or not. Adversity gives you the opportunity to show if you'll keep on going or not. Adversity gives you the opportunity to say to those who are suffering with you, I love you and I'll stand beside you. Adversity, what an opportunity. I contend no woman had a better opportunity than Mrs. Job had. What an opportunity Job's friends had. My soul. Here come his friends. Well, you're just not walking close enough to God. You haven't had a deep enough religious experience. There must be some secret sin in your life you've been punished for. My soul, they blew it, didn't they? What an opportunity they had. I mean... They had the opportunity to say to Job, We're your friends. We're your friends when you're on top. We're your friends when you're on bottom. We're your friends. Two and two's four. Sunrise is east, that's in the west. And we're your friends. And we're with you. And they spoil the opportunity. And because of it, ruin their chances to bless people as long as there are people. Oh, my soul. Think of, think of this, Michael Harvey. Most of you heard this, but the rest of you that haven't should. Uncle Harvey was a multimillionaire. He was married to my, my mother's sister, Aunt Jenny. Uncle Harvey was a very wealthy man. Uncle Harvey was a strong Southern Baptist. In those days, I was Southern Baptist. In fact, Uncle Harvey was on the relief and annuity board of the Southern Baptist Convention. A big position. He was a, a layman, of course. <laughs> I bet he was wealthy, didn't he? But he was a layman. But he was a very wealthy man. Uncle Harvey loved me. He helped me some. Helped our church some. When I was in college, he helped me get a car. He didn't give it to me. He got it, and then he... Helped me to get the note, and he signed the note. And then my last year in college, he sent me a hundred dollars a month, every month, keep me in college my last year. Our church in Texas needed to borrow some money. We were too young to borrow money. He went on the note. We borrowed a big, sizable note to build an auditorium with. He went on the note for us. He and I were very close. He offered me a quarter of a million dollars back in the days when that would be worth two and a half million now. If I'd go to Southwestern Seminary and get my degree, doctor's degree from Southwestern Seminary, I said, Uncle, I'm not the want to, I don't want $250,000 in the second place. I cannot be bought. In the third place, I wouldn't go to Southwestern Seminary for a doctor's degree if you'd give me the Taj Mahal. I'm saying he loved me. That's how much he loved me. He offered me a quarter of a million dollars as a gift. As I say, that's, that's back in the days when a hundred dollars a week salary was a good, good salary. That'd be, I'd, I'd be worth millions of dollars now if I'd taken that quarter of a million and invested it. What a stupid fool I was. 
but the day came when I could no longer support the liberalism in the Southern Baptist Convention. The day came when I could no longer give one dime to a bunch of schools that said this book is not the word of God word by word. I took my stand. Because I took my stand, they said, you cooperate or you no longer be a Southern Baptist. And I said, I'm going to do what I feel like God wants me to do if I'm by myself preaching on a vacant lot under a tent somewhere or with a soap on a soapbox. Well, I had to leave my convention. First thing I thought about was Uncle Harvey. What will he say? He's on the relief and annuity board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's one of the outstanding laymen in the Texas Baptist Convention. What will he say? I said, well, I've got to face it. I went over to his house. Never dreaded anything in my life more than I dreaded death. I had a little speech outlined. I said, I was going to say, Uncle, every dime that you've let our church have, I'll raise it and I'll get it back to you. I spent my life doing it. I'll pay you back. I know you're ashamed of me and I know you're disappointed. And I'll pay you back. I never forget the day I went to his house, scared to death. Rang the doorbell, beautiful mansion of a home. The servant came to the door. Chauffeur was sitting out there in the car, big Cadillac car. Servant, I asked, I could see Uncle Harvey. I was taken to his wheelchair where he was sitting. He's up in years now. I opened my mouth to say, Uncle Harvey, I guess you read the papers. I'm sorry, but I had to stand. I didn't get to say it. Uncle Harvey looked up at me and he said, Son, they voted us out, didn't they? Us. What an opportunity. And my friends are in trouble. I do not rejoice that they are, but what an opportunity it is for me. Told you about that couple. I was preaching down near Fort, near uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Couple came, began to cry, and I won't go into the whole story, but they came, began to cry. A little lady looked at me, and she was crying, and she said, "I want to do something, Doctor Howes, and help you. Can I help you? Can we do anything for you? I want to help you." And I said, "Ma'am, why do you want to help me?" She was about my age, and I said, "Why do you want to help me?" And she said, "You don't know who I am, do you?" And I said, "No, I don't." And she said, "Many years ago, when you're pastor in Garland, Texas, she said." My husband and I got upset with you. We're members of your church. You were our preacher. We got upset with you. We left the church. Went over and joined Second Baptist Church in Garland. And she said, for the house, she said, you're our favorite preacher now. We own an airplane. Anytime you preach within 250 miles of Fentville, we come to hear you preach. We fly to hear you preach. For the house, we'll fly 250 miles to hear you preach. Now we used to wouldn't drive two and a half miles to hear you preach. She said, we didn't know then that you were someday going to become the pastor of the largest church in America. Why didn't you tell us? I said, why didn't you ask me? He said, we've lived in horror. We've lived in with remorse. We had a chance to invest in your ministry. An opportunity to stand beside you. Let me tell you something, brother. If you are a friend in God's name... Be a friend. That's what Job's friends had an opportunity to do. 
man came to me not long ago in this church, one of our fine men. He said, I wish I'd have been here 29 years ago. I said, why? He said, because I, 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 I envy these people that stood by you 29 years ago. He said, I wish I could have been here so I could say I did the same thing. Oh, let me tell you this morning, Job, what an opportunity you have. You have to have an opportunity to stand up and say, I believe in God. I've lost my money. I've lost my home. I've lost my children. I've lost my wife. I've lost my health. But I know that my Redeemer liveth. What an opportunity adversity brings. What's your heartache this morning? Of whatever degree or whatever size your heartache is, that is exactly the size of the opportunity. The person this morning who, here whose heart hurts the most is the one who has the biggest opportunity. The person this morning who has the most adversity is the one who has the biggest opportunity. What is your heartache today? What is your adversity? Is it an illness? Is your body racked with a disease? What an opportunity you have. You have an opportunity that well people don't have. You have an opportunity to say, I believe in my God. I believe my God does right. I believe God is God and I trust Him totally. And though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Seize upon that opportunity. What is your adversity this morning? A loved one who's ill? You've got a tremendous opportunity to show faith in God. You've got a tremendous opportunity to have a testimony nobody else can have exactly like you can. What is your adversity this morning? Has a friend betrayed you? What an opportunity you have. You have the opportunity to love your enemies. You have the opportunity to love those that hate you. If nobody hates you, you can't love those that hate you. If nobody despitefully uses you, you can't pray for those that despitefully use you. I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what your heavy load is. But this morning, I don't want you to have it, and you don't want to have it. But brother, if it's there, at least say, bless God, I have an opportunity to stand and believe and trust and not doubt. Seize upon the opportunity God has given What's your, what's your adversity? Financial? You have an opportunity to believe the Word of God this morning if you have. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't sympathize with those that pain, but I'll tell you what, I feel sorry for those who've never pained. I'm not saying that I do not sympathize with those who have adversity, but I'll tell you what, I sympathize more with those who've never known adversity. One of the greatest women of our generation is named Costa Mary Hiles. But Costa Mary Hiles would, her greatness would never have been known if she hadn't have lost, hadn't have uh, lost a baby, had an afflicted child and lost her dad, mama when she was three or nine and had an afflicted child and that child died and had a second child and that child died, both died at the age of seven and then, uh, lost a little, little small town store and then lost their home and and her husband turned to alcohol, and she had to work in a lunchroom where we visited 
uh, this last week for 50 cents a day behind a hot steam table. I mean, what did she do? She, when the adversity came, she didn't whine, she didn't have a pity party. She said, what an opportunity I have to show I believe in my God. What an opportunity. Think of that adversity now that you have. Or think of that adversity that someone who's dear to you has. Think of the opportunity you have to be a friend. Think of the opportunity you have to trust God. Think of the opportunity you have. Okay, so you've, you've lost everything. Well, what an opportunity. You can rebuild it. Did you ever wish you could go through the best days of your life again? But if you've lost everything, you can. You can rebuild what you lost. You have the chance to say to a whole world, look at me. I did it before and I can do it again. By God's grace. What an opportunity. No enemies, no heroes. No war, no medals of honor. No battles, no victories. How can you use it? Adversity. You can use adversity to show your loyalty. You can use adversity to rebuild. You can use adversity to be a real friend. You can use adversity to show your love for God. You can use adversity to forgive those that slander you and love those that hate you. And do good to those who would destroy you. What an opportunity that is. What an opportunity. You have an opportunity to trust God like few people have. There are two people. Follow me and I'm through. I won't tell you how long you have to follow me, but... Here are two people. They're sitting in the same house. Side by side. They're co-owners of an estate. Somebody comes and says, you have thousands of cattle. They've all been destroyed. Two people. Equal. One says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? One says, won't you curse God and die? Same opportunity. Two people. Sitting side by side, word comes to them that all their children have been killed. Mother and father, side by side, opportunity comes. Ten little graves, ten caskets, they walk away together the silent city of the dead. What an opportunity. I wonder will they use it and seize upon it. Do they still believe in their God? Will they still stand true? Will they still serve Him? Will they still love Him? Nobody in the whole world has the opportunity that these two people have right now. 
show their affection and love and devotion to their God. One of them said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. The other said, Don't you curse God and die? Same thing. Seized opportunity, missed opportunity. Two people, side by side. Disease comes. Shame comes. The name Job had been one of the most respected names in the land. Now the name Job is the most disrespected name in the land. Two people. One sees his ruins of his house, the graves of his children, the remains of his estate, the condition of his body. And says, I serve a living Savior. He's alive. I know that my Redeemer liveth. That isn't all. <laughs> Brother, when all this mess is over, he's the only one going to be standing. He seized it, didn't he? How about you? Are you seizing yours? Huh? Here's a wife. Same loss, same shame, same reproach. What an opportunity. Here are three friends. A chance to say, I'm with you, Job. I didn't love your riches. I love Job. What a chance. Well, what you've done wrong. Well, that's on secret sin, don't you? You haven't had a deep enough experience with God. Blew it, didn't you? I said a while ago, one of my dearest friends, I've never hurt for as many dear friends as I hurt for at this moment. I've never had as many dear friends in as much trouble and adversity as I have today. I'd like to say to those who are in this room about whom I'm talking and to those who hear me by tape, Brother House loves you. And I never want anybody to suffer. But if the suffering comes, if you'll turn that suffering around on the other side, you'll find a word written. The word is opportunity. Opportunity. So I say to those who hear me now in this room and those who hear me on tape or will hear me on tape, who mean as much to me as life itself, I don't want you to hurt. And I hurt because you hurt. And I suffer because you suffer. But whatever you do, don't blow this amazing opportunity that you have. If your husband is suffering, don't blow it. If your friend is suffering, don't blow it. If you're suffering, don't blow it. Don't look at it as pain. Look at it as opportunity. Opportunity to stand as you've never been able to stand before. Opportunity to trust as you've never been able to trust before. To whatever degree your pain is today, to whatever degree your adversity is today, you have exactly that degree of opportunity. Forty-one years ago, 
you've heard me say, a little pine ticket needs Texas. With a flashlight, a 3 by 5 card, and a, and a pen. About 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning, I sat down on the stump of a tree in East Texas with my whole ministry right in my hand. 21-year-old kid preacher. And I wrote down five things that I promised God I'd do. Number one, I promised God that nobody would ever meddle with my preaching. Number two, I promised God that I would not consider money at all in my ministry, personally. Number three, I promised God that I would never make a decision on whether it was what was expedient, but on whether it was right or wrong. Number four, I promised God I'd be loyal to principles and not to institutions. Number five, I don't know why this was put in there. I really don't know. I've forgotten the purpose of this, but I wrote it down. I promised God I'd be a friend to my friends. I've not been perfect for these 41 years. Nearly, but not totally. I've not been perfect in these 41 years. But nobody's meddled with my preaching. And money's never been discussed concerning my ministry. And I've based my decisions on what I thought was right and wrong. And I've been loyal to my principles. You check my record. You check my record. Whether my friends were on the top or on the bottom. In the winner's circle. Or coming in last place. I've been a friend. And every time one of my friends has had a burden, or a problem, or a heartache, or a defeat, I praise God for the opportunity. I close with this little line I used a while ago. Son, they voted us out, didn't they? Uncle Harvey seized his opportunity, didn't he? Are you going to seize yours? Your adversity, your disease, your pain, your heartache, your sorrow. Don't beg for suffering. Don't beg for adversity. Don't beg for heartache. But when it comes, say at least, hallelujah, what a chance to stand up and stand faithful and stand true. My Lord is called. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.